God, those communists are amazing, 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 amazing. South Law, me, Douglas Williams, as well as Brian Conlon and Rakaia Shamsadeen. Rakaia was unfortunately, sadly, unable to join us for this episode. Today, we are interviewing Tawny and Colleen with the Houston chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America to discuss the growth of their chapter in the wake of Donald Trump's election, as well as their major project, doing home demolition work in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. We discuss the organization's relationship to their community as it seeks to rebuild in the aftermath of such a powerful and devastating storm, as well as how they see their work in the context of community organizing and mutual aid efforts being undertaken by local chapters of the DSA throughout this country. We hope you all enjoy the conversation. Please have a listen. How old is the Houston DSA, and how did y'all get started? I think technically the Houston DSA chapter is like 20 years old. Um, There's a handful of old timers who have been involved with DSA in Houston um, for a long time, but I think mostly it was a social club until this past election session. Um, So I think we've gone from maybe about five members to over 300. Now, what did that, so what did that sort of transformation look like? You know, you've heard this as a sort of common refrain in people recounting sort of how older DSA chapters were sort of like, you know, social clubs more or less with, you know, where people could sort of like signify there's slightly more radical politics into and being transformed after Trump is elected to, you know, an organization that actually does stuff like community organizing. What, what was that trans, what was that transformation like in Houston? Um, I guess. So I joined DSA the day after Trump was elected. Um, but I didn't attend a meeting for a couple months because it just didn't gel with my schedule. Um, but from what we understand from the history that we've been told, um, it went from meeting in like a boardroom at someone's office to now we meet in the AFL-CIO hall, which is like, um, you know, you just have a lot more capacity for projects now. Um, I would say that the center of the organization politically has shifted dramatically further left than it was um, before uh, the membership influx. I think that's probably a good summary. Yeah. I mean, if you only have like five or six members, you know, for for 20 years, like how much political clout do you really have? So um, I understand like it it is important to have a, a community built up of people who just are like-minded, it's just healthier for people in general. Um, but now that we actually have people who are out there excited to do the work, um, it it seems like a different organization from what we've been told. But Tawny and I both are 
I guess just over a year we've been members. So we don't know what it was like pre-Bernie. Yeah, I mean, I joined um, around the same time y'all did. And I know North Carolina Piedmont, they basically had just enough people that they could scrape together across central North Carolina to sign a charter. And that was done in 2015. And one of our more active members is somebody who was a member of DSOC, one of the, the predecessor organizations. And it's kind of interesting to see him talk about the rather drastic differences between DSA now and the way DSA was previous. So I kind of want to get into the, the main reason we pulled y'all on. It's the recovery team, which I think is easily probably the most inspired political work that any DSA locals done in 2017. And I wanted y'all to, to talk a little bit about how it got started. Uh, so I was stuck in a hotel room during the hurricane. So uh, I wasn't really around when y'all were initially building it. Yeah, basically, uh, Houston DSA has a platform very similar to Slack, but with better security called Mattermost, um, where we were all sort of cabin fevering together during the storm. And we had created a channel for Harvey Relief where we were trying to set up a fundraiser, hoping to hand out granola bars and bottles of water in neighborhoods. Uh, we weren't really sure what to expect. We thought we'd raise like $5,000 and be able to do something like that. But as the storm wore on, uh, as I think everyone kind of knows at this point, we ended up raising about $125,000 just that weekend. And suddenly the project was much bigger than we anticipated. So there's actually a member of DSA, um, I hope he's okay with me using his name, um, Luke Pratt in Oklahoma City DSA is a disaster relief specialist who works with the Methodist Church. He was super kind and met with us on Google Hangouts and gave us a rundown of what we could do with that money. And that was kind of how it all started to come together. Uh, from there, we just started a spreadsheet for uh, like a Google form that people could fill out if they needed help. And we started coding that data by zip code and trying to figure out where we were going to start. And we just went out that first weekend with very little pre-planning and one of our members is a contractor so we just followed him <laughs> so what was sort of the learning curve getting off the ball off the the boards like how long did it take for y'all to really start to hit a rhythm in your work i think it was pretty quickly actually it was surprisingly quickly so demo work is intimidating and because it, it just seems like a lot of physical labor I think that what she's driving at is yeah. that it's very easy to get into a groove with it. Um, if you have a team yeah. of people, like the, the same, there's probably been a team of about six to 10 core people that come every weekend. Now it's down to six, but for a while it was closer to 10. Um, and once you get in a rhythm with somebody with a wheelbarrow and another person tearing walls down and another person like picking stuff up and putting it in that wheelbarrow, um, things move really fast and there's very there's tips and tricks that you pick up along the way um to move more quickly and to tear things down faster but overall as long as you've got people who are willing to work and actually move uh it's not that hard and i actually thought it was kind of funny um the contractor member 
thought that we were going to be bad at it because he didn't think that anyone would want to actually do any physical labor. And the first weekend we went out, he told us all that we proved him very wrong and he was very proud of us. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think also, I think for the Beaumont team, at least we hit a stride like on weekend two out there. Um, at first we were only working on the weekends. Um, we had a team that went out to Beaumont and there was about like four of us that would just go out every weekend. Uh, we would pick up a couple new people. Um, and yeah, like we were like almost instantly a team. Um, it's kind of awesome what physical labor does for team building. It's, I don't know. There's nothing like it. Um, like just getting together and, and physically completing a task and, and all seeing it come together um, and it not just being you, it being you and all your comrades. It's, it's really special. Now, what is the process that you guys go through to identify who receives help? Is it just, do you go by neighborhood? Is it, just tell me about how, 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 how you say, okay, so we're going to tear this house down. We're going to do demo work here today, whatever. <laughs> Uh, we started with, uh, the list from our spreadsheet and I'm not sure exactly what the sorting process was to take the first home. I'm pretty sure we just went down the sheet in order of appearance on the list. Um, so once we were out, we did a few for the AFL-CIO and then our, one of our co-chairs of our chapter, Amy Zachmeyer, is an organizer for the Texas State Employees Union. So some of the first houses we did were TSEU member homes. Um, and we helped them with some of their stuff. But the first houses that we got to from our list um, were on this street called Teasdale. And when people in, on Teasdale saw us out working, they came by to talk to their neighbor that we were working on the house for. And they just started asking us, well, can you do my house? Can you do my grandma's house? Can you do my son's house? And so we did pretty much two thirds of Teasdale just by word of mouth um, without before we even got to the rest of our list. Um, and I don't know, was Beaumont... I think Beaumont was similar. Um, we were just working on union, member, union members' houses out there. Um, Amy is an organizer for the Texas State Employees Union, and she uh, organizes a lot of people out there. Um, so, yeah, there was, like, people forget about the outlying small towns and counties, um, but there was a lot of people that are affected uh, way out in the areas as well. About how many houses have y'all helped people with? 53 at this point. I think 53. I think we're on 50. They'll finish the 53rd one this weekend that we started last weekend. Wow. That is a lot of work, I imagine. <laughs> uh, lots of uh, physical labor, a lot of team building. Uh, what, what does your average weekend look like so like take take us through the process of sort of like you arrive at a house what do y'all do you know with with that with a single house i think our weekend actually starts like the week before so now we've uh, we already have a house like we're finishing it up this next weekend um mm -hmm. it's like a five-bedroom house so it's you know pretty extensive uh we also we did not have to pull up the carpet at least, but we did need to pull the carpet out of a room. Yeah. So that's fun. Um, 
so the process starts the week before we, um, usually we've been in contact with this group, um, called Western recovery and they've been giving us houses that they can't demo right now. Um, they are embedded in the neighborhood that we have been working in. Um, it's where the Teasdale street is. It's on the Northeast side. So, um, we contact the homeowners or whoever is, is handling the house because sometimes they're really elderly people and we'll talk to their daughter or, you know, their, their niece or nephew or something. Um, they, it's just, it's too much work for, for that single family to do alone. Uh, we'll identify what they exactly need. Um, we'll ask them if the home is rented or owned because we make a point of not helping landlords. Um, we'll help families move out. We'll help them. We have helped them find um, temporary housing. We had a family that we, we housed um, just in a hotel room. We just paid for their hotel room. Um, but we won't help landlords. Um, so the day of demo, we meet at a little coffee shop called Bohemio's on the East End. Yeah, which we should be very clear to give them a massive shout out because they do not open until noon on the weekend, but they open specifically for us. They give us free coffee, and they also are where our warehouse space is. Um, they lend us free warehouse space to house our tools and also a parking lot to clean them in. So they have been a massive community partner for us. Just Yeah, plus it's just like an awesome hangout space. So if you're ever in the Houston area, hit up Bohemio's. You will probably see Tawny reading <laughs> on the patio or something. Um, what's their be- What's the best thing there then? Let's let, let's go full endorsement. What's <laughs> okay. the best thing they've got? Uh, I would get chicken nachos with black beans and avocado and a beer. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and they have like fifty beers, which is kind of insane for a coffee shop. But yeah, it's a legit location. Um, <sighs> So, so after we meet up there, we'll usually have tacos for, for breakfast in the mornings. Um, after we wait up, like we wait until like 8.45 for people to get there. Usually there's people that are running late. We'll run to our warehouse, which is also the Bohemia's lot. Um, we have a DSA truck, which is, I think, the first truck that any DSA chapter has actually bought and owned. So that's pretty tight. Um we load the truck with all of our tools, and then we head over to the house. Usually, it would take like five or ten minutes to talk with the landowner or the, the homeowner, and um, I don't know, just just see what they need. Um, not just you know take it out of the house, but like, how are you doing? Um, is everything okay? Like, are you feeling healthy today? How can we like actually just help you be comfortable? Um, we'll tell them what we're capable of because sometimes there's just stuff that we can't do. Like, there's houses that have been flooded enough to push them off of their foundations. And that's not something that we, um, a group of volunteers, can really fix, unfortunately. Um, and then, I don't know, we get to work. So what are some of the, the issues that y'all feel capable enough and have built sufficient capacity to address? Oh, we do. I mean, so basically what people need, typically in this situation is they need their drywall taken out, like all the sheetrock, uh, which often involves their ceilings. Um, they need their cabinets removed in the kitchen because wood absorbs water. And they need their wooden subfloors removed. Often that's under tile. Um, we're capable of doing all of those things. 
all of the basics of muck and gut work are well within our wheelhouse at this point and pretty much have been the whole time we've been out working. It's, uh, it's really only those jobs that are the whole house is like just structurally unsound where it's just literally not safe to be inside of it that we won't go into. Oh, and I guess now we can sort of, we can sort of build the first part of a room now too, as far as capabilities. Yeah, so yeah, we're just starting <laughs> to learn that, which I think is uh, something we might talk about a little bit later is our, our pivot to mm. rebuild. Yeah. So how do you handle the supply needs of this work? Fortunately, this part of the work doesn't need a lot of supplies. Um, a lot of it is just tools. We have a tool bank here in Houston that we were able to borrow a lot of stuff from. Huge shout out to everyone buying us stuff off of Amazon. Other DSAs, um, I don't know, probably people that aren't in DSA even, have sent us an amazing amount of stuff. Um, I We actually, fuck. I was actually supposed to go process another shipment uh, today, and I forgot. So I'm being a bad comrade to Bohemios right now. But anyway, uh, recently, you know, I put out a tweet or two, and I asked for more respirator cartridges because we're working on this house. This five-bedroom hasn't been touched since the storm, really. And it's not as moldy as I expected it to be, but obviously there's still mold inside. And most of our cartridges were kind of on their last legs. Uh, and we got so many cartridges in on that shipment, like the solidarity from other chapters and our comrades nationwide. And, uh, I think we've gotten a couple things internationally, maybe a long time ago from somebody in Amsterdam. Um, but anyway, people have been really amazing about supporting our work, uh, on the ground. And the only things that we really have to worry about supply wise are respirator cartridges and concrobium which is the really hard to pronounce name for the chemical that seeps into wood and kills mold uh, beyond the surface. A lot of people will tell people to bleach their homes, but bleach only gets the surface mold and then it provides like a block to any further chemical treatment. So we actually sometimes end up going in and scrubbing bleach off of uh, studs in the home to respray with concrobium. Yeah, I sent y'all the... Uh... 10 respirator cartridges when y'all put out the order on that. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now, you know, you mentioned the AFL CIO is where DSA meets. For example, you mentioned the coffee shop opening up early. What other, uh, what other community partners have you guys been working with throughout this uh, recovery process? We've been working really heavily with West Street Recovery. We ran into a couple other volunteers back last year, a couple months after the storm. Um, and they had a lot of people in the Northeast side, just like we did. Um, so I think we got contact information somehow from Nick and um, they've been like deeply entrenched in the neighborhood and they've like gone and done canvassing and, and they have like a database of the homes in the area. So we've kind of partnered with them um, to basically work their way down their list. Uh, there's also Living Paradigm. They've been trying to help us learn rebuild skills, but they've also been valuable. We've done a couple of homes that they've given us too. What are the major obstacles that y'all have overcome? Like what kind of um, impediments have you encountered in this work? I think sometimes it's just the scope of what we can handle. 
um, some of these homes just need more than we can really offer them. Like we can't do the foundation work. We can't really like, we don't really know how to fix studs. I think we probably could at some point, but there's a lot of like really rotten studs that we've come across and a lot of termite damage that we can't really, like we don't know how to do. Uh, we don't have the chemicals for it. Um, but also we don't have the money yet to rebuild these homes, like re gutting them and, uh, you know, doing muck and gut work is only half the battle. A lot of it's going to be just rebuilding it. Um, what these homeowners are up against are, is a, a huge FEMA organization that's not giving them what they need to, to get their life back in order. Um, which I don't know, it's just like a, a way bigger question to ask. But also there's been a little bit of, um, I, I don't know if with you or anything or with me, but fatigue from some of our volunteers as well. Um, people just need weeks off and, and it's encouraged and like we, we, we encourage it because it's healthy, but a lot of it is just, you know, sometimes we just don't have the ability to go out every single weekend and do this like really hard physical labor, which is also extremely emotional. Yeah. There's a lot of secondary trauma to it. Um, and then obviously like survivor's guilt, uh, going out and talking to people like Colleen was saying that FEMA is literally just leaving behind that they're, they've had their claims denied. They've gone to the red cross and we actually talked to a homeowner that's gotten counterfeit hundred dollar bills from the red cross. And there's like no way to fix that. Uh, there's not services for disabled people to get money. Um, like they, the lines are like three hours long and you know, a disabled person that can't stand for three hours can't get money in that line essentially. Uh, and having to hear those stories and literally just have to be like, well, I can pick up a hammer and take out your wall <laughs> and we can come back and our direct, we actually have a financially direct aid team as well that usually follows behind us, um, to handle the financial side of things. And we've bought people things like car seats and beds and water heaters and replaced, uh, different types of home appliances and things, um, but right now we're on a money freeze because we aren't sure what our tax burden is going to be, if any, and we have to have money to pay for the insurance and gas on the truck and to feed our volunteers and et cetera. So we kind of can't really do the money side anymore. So that's kind of, I would say the biggest burden for us is like the secondary trauma of it. Um, there's not really any hangups in the work, except that the work truck has a loose battery clamp and sometimes it dies while you're driving or the radio <laughs> comes on randomly. <laughs> it's really more of a thing that just kind of makes me and my truck partner, Cody, laugh, usually more than anything else. <laughs> One way that we've kind of fixed the emotional thing, or at least, like, makes me feel healthier, at least, is just getting a beer. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, um, Bohemios has a, a wide selection of beers. <laughs> um, they also have coffee and kombucha, so, like, it doesn't matter if you're not drinking or anything. Um just just hanging out and kind of decompressing with your comrades and, and processing stuff. Um, at the end of the day, it's just it, it just it feels good. Kombucha is gross. Whatever. Ugh. This is the conversation on a different podcast. <laughs> oh, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. The Southern podcast about kombucha. Yeah, that's what the South Lawn. The South Lawn will now actually be a blog about nothing but kombucha criticism. 
<laughs> so what are next steps for the recovery team? Uh, ideally, we want to pivot to rebuild now that we're running out of homes that need muck and guts. The problems there are how we get materials to rebuild, how we find houses to rebuild, which seems straightforward but maybe isn't, and what kind of legal work we need to do on the permit side to be able to do that work. We actually have a meeting with the, our contractor member and the rest of the Harvey leader team. We're going to get together and discuss that, and if we decide to go into rebuild, it might mean another round of fundraising, and uh, it'll definitely mean a lot more like deepening our partnerships with West Street. Another thing that I think I've talked about with you two, I know I've talked about it with Nick, is uh, potentially going into like churches in the Northeast side and offering to work with their members to teach them specifically uh, rebuild skills and then just be a conduit for both like knowledge and drywall <laughs> because <laughs> drywall is the biggest thing people need right now. Um, and just trying to get walls back up in homes the best way that we can to the highest standard that we can. Now, as I'm sure both of you know, there's been a big old debate within the DSA about mutual aid, whether it is something that our chapters and organizations should be doing. When you, I guess how I want to put this is sort of, I mean, this is part and parcel of community organizing, right? Is, you know, helping people, displaying solidarity, like building a culture of solidarity. Um, what lessons do you think your experience in Houston has, both for this debate as well as for other left leftist groups who are looking to do similar work Something that I think about a lot is Fred Hampton's speech, um, Power Anywhere There's People. And I went back and read it before we did this podcast because I try to not misquote Fred Hampton when I'm talking. And um, he has this amazing analogy about how, like, a mechanic, like, you can go to mechanic school, but, like, a mechanic that's been working for 20 years will be able to outclass you as a uh, mechanic on the scene, right? And how it, like, it's basically his way of saying, you know, like, there's theory and there's practice, and you kind of need both, but, like, practice is really important. And I think that coming out of this work, um, it's given me a lot of perspective. Well, not coming out of, continuing to do this work. Uh, I used to not be able to remember people's names to save my life. Now I can memorize a group of people's names right off the bat. I know who people are. Um, I'm much better at talking to people and empathizing with them. I honestly, the most embarrassing thing that's come out of this work for me is that I don't think that I really ever spent that much time in black and brown communities. And I just didn't realize that like the way that I go through life is so much more disconnected and alienated than the way that those communities go through life. And when I had homeowners stop and ask me questions about my life, um, I would be like kind of in this mode where I'm like, I'm trying to get work done, you know, like I can't 
stand here and be lazy and talk to you. But then I started to realize like, these are actual conversations they want to have. Like, whereas like another white person, like is never going to ask you that question. Um, and like started to actually really learn how to like bond with people in a moment and not make everything this weird, um, like frenetic productivity contest, I guess. And just like basically learning how to interact in those communities and not, um, I don't know, like not expect to be able to get a hold of people on Sunday at 10 a.m. Um, cause they're in church and to not say the number of cuss words that I normally say and to be mindful of the same miss and mister and not just address people by their first name and to say yes instead of yeah. And just, it's like a whole repertoire of things that like just don't exist for me in my normal life that I think are going to be way more valuable to my organizing than, um, I won't take pot shots. I'll leave it there. <laughs> I will. So, probably <laughs> canvassing well, for Medicare for all with no clear theory of change. You know, so would you say that through your through your recovery work, like it's almost been something that can also that's also giving you skills not only to, you know, I don't know, knock down drywall, but also to do community organizing and to go forward with that. Definitely. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I think most of all, it's, it's made people a lot more, uh, I don't know, have more positive feelings about getting out and, and doing work. Um, one thing that I like to say when I'm you know, trying to convince people to come out is that it does differ from the political work, which is also very important in that you can see physically uh, the change that you affect on people and the difference that you make in their lives um, that, that same day, like the same moment. Um, and that's really powerful. And it's a lot more, it's really uplifting. It, it makes you feel like you're actually doing something and doing something great. Like we're not going to see the benefits of canvassing uh, for Medicare for all until, you know, a year, two years, maybe 10 years, I don't know. Um, but the change that we affect in this Harvey work, and honestly, with any direct aid project, um, you get to see that change affecting people immediately, um, which is what I think is so, so powerful um, about it, like the, the, the best thing about it. And also, it's organizing, it's organizing as, as storytelling, in, but you're, you're showing you're not telling in this case. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're out there just physically helping people, um, it it makes people more interested in what you're like, what is bringing your group together as well. People ask you questions about, you know, what 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 is DSA? What is you know? We, I think once um, when we were mucking out a house, there were some women who were uh, talking amongst themselves just across the street, and they waved me over. And they're like, what are y'all doing in, in um, this, this homeowner's house, like homeowner's name? And uh, I was like, yeah, we're doing some muck and gut work. We're with, you know, DSA, you know, like Bernie. And they're like, oh, yeah, Bernie, Bernie. Uh, so that was that was cool. Like we found a way to connect with these people um, in this little neighborhood. Um, and it wasn't necessarily political, but, but they were, you know, open to what we were talking about, too, just because we were, you know, there. We weren't expecting anything from them. 
I really want to thank thank you both for for coming on and and doing this because I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, like I wasn't just saying it to to make y'all feel better. I really do think that the recovery team is genuinely the best work that that DSA has done. You know, in in 2017 period. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And now we say bye bye. You've been listening to Rocking with the Soft Lawn with me, Douglas Williams, and Brian Conlon. Thanks always to our lovely guests, Tawny and Colleen with the Houston chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. And special thanks to my neighbor, Kevin, for helping me to produce this episode. Until next time. Picture this, I'm a bag of dicks, put me to your lips, I am sick, I will punch a baby bear in his shit, give me lip, I'ma send you to the yard, get a stick, make a switch, I can end the conversation real quick, I am cracked, I ain't lying, kick a lion in his crack, I'm the shit, I will fall off in your crib, take a shit, hit your mama on the booty, kick your dog, fuck your bitch, that boy dressed up like he's down on and took pictures with your kids, we the best, we will cut a fronty face in your chest, little wench, I'ma mention a be fresh, I'ma Nobody speak, nobody get choked.